Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 345. I know that you have to work hard. You yourself, you have to work hard and, and show people that you're working hard. There's no way around it. There's no way around that. There's, there's, no, there's no just sitting back and, and talking the talk. If you don't walk the walk, people recognize that. You got to do the work. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Let me tell you about Design Crowd. Design Crowd is a website that helps startups and small businesses like restaurants, cafes, and bars outsource or crowdsource custom graphic, logo, and web design from over 550,000 designers from around the world. Check out designcrowd.com slash unstoppable to receive up to $100 off your first design project or simply enter promotional code unstoppable at checkout. Hey guys, would you like to know the exact marketing strategy a restaurant owner used to generate over $36,000 in sales from just $400 in Facebook ads? Would you like to know how a bar owner doubled her Tuesday night business in just four weeks for just $50 a week? Go to freebrsbook.com right now and get a copy of the industry's number one selling marketing and promotion book, Bar and Restaurant. Restaurant success. This book reveals the step by step marketing plan that created these results so you can apply them in your own business. Get on it. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Eric Michaud. Eric, man, you got to tell me. Are you feeling unstoppable today? Absolutely not. <laughs> oh, man. You're the first person to ever say in 344 episodes. Really? Oh, but hey, at least you're honest. That's all right. I'm honest. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So in 2008, uh, after traveling the world, learning how to brew and distill alcohol, Eric Michaud uh, opened Navare Res Beer Cafe, which has nestled itself comfortably on multiple national best beer bar lists. In 2013, Eric opened Liquid Riot's bottling company to satisfy his need to create. Their experience have been winning awards ever since. Today, Liquid Riot Bottling Company consists of a brewery, a distillery, and a restaurant bar combination. Obviously, I'm just scratching the surface. Uh, I can't wait to really dive into what you've learned to be true as far as what got you to this point. But let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? Um, I actually, I think a lot of a, a line that I uh, picked up when I was traveling through Belgium, going to the Trappist monasteries where the, the monks brew beer. And it's the line of live by the work of your hands. Ooh, live by the work of your hands. Uh, dive into that. What did it mean to them? What does it mean to you? Uh, to them, it meant that they were living they were self-sufficient. So a lot of the Trappist monks historically and, and to this day try to create everything that they need uh, within the confines of their monastery grounds so they don't have to leave. So they can they live and, and study within those grounds. They often farm. They'll raise livestock, grow crops. Um, and that's how some of the Trappist monasteries started brewing. They needed to provide beer for weary travelers. Um, so they also they needed to make yeah. beer. Um, everything that they needed, they created themselves and, and did with their own hands. Mm. And I take that of just meaning hard work. You got to work hard. Um, you do stuff with your own body, with your own mind, and you live your life from the work that you put into it. Man, uh, that's a great way to get this thing started. And how have you applied just that hard work mentality into your culture? I'm curious. Well, just from day one with, with Novare Rez, uh, my father, my brother, and I, we built that place um, and, and we built this place as well. We built Liquid Riot. My father's a body mechanic by trade. Um, my brother is a stage technician. Um, he, he worked in Broadway building and designing and running uh, Broadway shows. So these two are just, they're amazing builders. They, yeah. they, they can build anything, create anything. And all the furniture you see in here is all custom built. Um, you know, we put up all the partitions. My, my brother built all the light fixtures. And my father did a bunch of the carpentry work. It's beautiful, man. Um, so we really li literally are, are living by the work of our hands. Um, yeah. 
and, and I grew up with that. I grew up seeing my father using his hands and, and um, fixing cars and building things. And he, yeah. he built a few houses that I lived in growing up and kind of a jack of all trades. And, That's awesome. Um, Hardworking men. I can't wait to see how this comes out further as we pull back the layers. Uh, but let's dive back to when you knew. Uh, is there a time you knew uh, this was going to be your career? Like, how did you get into this industry? And like, when did it like when did you commit yourself fully to it? I think drinking, drinking beer in high school when I wasn't supposed to be. <laughs> Definitely. <does> uh, <laughs> Allagash White was hot on the market then. Yep. They, they had only been out for a few years. And I was, you know, I'd go to high school parties with a little four-pack of Allagash White that I procured <laughs> somehow. And um, Everyone else was drinking Bud Light, Bud Keystone, Light, yep, Coors Light, whatever they could steal from their parents' <laughs> fridge. And there was a picture on the bottle of Allagash White that showed you to dump it into a wide-mouth goblet. Okay. And so I'd, I'd go through whatever house I was at and go through the parents' cupboards and find a nice wine glass. Everybody else is slamming it right out of the can. And uh, I'd have my little Allagash White and dump it in and swirl yeah. the yeast. And, you know, people look at me kind of weird, give so me a hard time. What was going on inside your mind? And uh, what, what, what did that do? What did that experience do to you to really get your hooks on it? Just, it just my, my, the flavors of it the, um, yeah. just blew my mind of, of flavor profile and recognizing there's more stuff. So... There's more stuff out there than just crap, you know, mass-produced yep. water, and um, and and as I as I progressed, and um, one of my buddies in high school, his father homebrewed, and so we'd taste some of his homebrew sometimes. Okay. And he's like, "Wow, you can you can make this stuff." That's because awesome. there's a lot of things in life, especially when you're younger, you don't really understand how it gets there. It just it just is. Yeah, it's like beer just magically happens. Yeah, people don't realize that it's actually. Um, a, a very hands-on crafted experience or, or pasta. You know, a lot of people just say, well, you, you just buy pasta at the store and it's dry and you put it in boiling water. But no, you can actually make pasta from yeah. scratch, right? You it's can, crazy how detached we've gotten from yeah. our food. It's, it really is. It's not a good thing. Uh, but I'm curious, like after, you know, initially, you know, falling in love with like bringing the Allagash to the party, like how did that evolve from there? You, know, you went to your, your friend's dad's house who brewed, but like when did you really start to transition from i really like this to i want to make this my life yeah so just going through that tasting experience and realizing that beer can taste good and recognizing there's other beer out there um i was given a homebrew kit uh i think for my 19th birthday okay just out of high school and started brewing in my parents kitchen pretty cool parents really cool parents (laughs) My, my mother didn't like beer yeah Hated it. Okay. She hated the smell. She'd come home and be like, oh, no, Eric's brewing again. My father would be like, this is really exciting because <laughs> yeah. you get to taste all my creations. That's awesome. And I found out I, I really enjoyed the process. Okay. And I'd make a bunch of beer, and I wouldn't even drink a fraction of it myself because I was more interested in creating it. And it was fun to taste it. Yeah. But as soon as I tasted it, I was like, okay, I got to do another batch to tweak it a little bit and check it out. And my father would yeah, most, very happily. Most dads are happy if they yeah. can train their sons to get them a beer from the fridge, but your dad had you brewing his beer from scratch, which is pretty great. I'd be excited too. Um, <laughs> but okay, so what was the next step in this evolution of you? Because uh, at some point, I mean, you, you went chasing all over the world to, to figure out new uh, ingre- or ingredients, new recipes. Like, so when did you know that this was going to be your life? Let's get to that point where like, you knew this was going to be your life. Probably around that time oh, when I was homebrewing, and so, I, I go ahead. I, I'd always had a little bit of an entrepreneurial spirit. Okay, um, idea of business of being in business by myself for myself. My father is a businessman, and and all growing up, he had his own business. Okay, and so it, it was part of the family seeing that that you can work for yourself, and um, just trying to find something that I could do that was financially viable. Yeah. And, beer is financially viable <laughs> yeah, it is. you know people drink it all over the world so, and have been doing it for a long time and so when i when i realized how much i enjoyed making yep. it and that I, I could actually make decent beer i said i've got to figure out how to turn this into a business and how to do this for myself and this is when you're 19 years old yeah so at that time when you're 19 years old what did that vision look like what was your solution how were you going to turn this into a business go to school okay um go to school for business okay. learn learn the business side of things okay and as a backup plan as well. So if I have a degree in business, if I've got a college education and I try to open my own business and it fails, hopefully I can go work for somebody else. Okay. Um, get some experience doing something else. All right. So 19, did you start, go, did you wait to go to school or did you, were you taking business classes before you started brewing on your own? Yeah. My, my school is kind of weird. So I did my senior year of high school abroad in Costa Rica. Okay. And then when I came back, I took a year off in between gotcha. going to college. Gotcha. Um, 
And through that through that time, I was just thinking of ideas. You know, I was home brewing. Yeah, thinking of ideas of how I could direct my life towards that. So my first year of college, I was in Tacoma, Washington. Okay, small school called Puget Sound, just outside Seattle. Okay, um, got disenchanted with being back in America and found a school where I could actually study abroad again. And um, so I enrolled, or I, uh, I transferred into this school out of Long Island University called Southampton College. Okay. A little program called Friends World Program. All right. And through this program, you can study abroad, choose one of six different countries to okay. go to directly. So was that intentional? Were you purposely setting yourself up so you could travel and get this experience working with monks, working with Japanese uh you know, distillers or I, 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 know think, I think it was just organic. I, I, I yeah. it wasn't pre-planned, okay. but as I saw these opportunities come up, I said, yes, this, this yeah. feels right. This makes sense. Coming, coming off my senior year of high school in Costa Rica, being, um, learn, learning a new language, being immersed in a new culture really excited me. Yeah. Coming home, home brewing, that really excited me. Yeah. Reading books about beer and beer culture and where that comes from. Most of it is European so looking at the European culture and, and being excited about the idea of going to Europe, going to Germany and Belgium and England, yeah. these beer meccas. Yeah. Um, and then just looking at the world as a whole, is, is there's alcoholic beverages in almost every single culture. Mm-hmm. And it goes back to ancient oh, historical yeah. times, right? So the idea of that is just, it's really interesting. And then being able to incorporate that into my studies and saying, yeah. well, I can study history, but I'm going to study the history of fermentation. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, can, I can study language, but yeah. I'm going to go to a country and study a language where they talk about alcohol. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, I transferred into this school, and, and the first stop was Japan. I spent a year in Japan, and one of my semesters, I was able to do a, a semester-long internship at a sake brewery where I just worked six days a week in this brewery on a small island called uh, Sado, Sado Gashima. Okay. It's, off the, it's about five hours by boat off the coast of Niigata, the west coast of Japan and the right. Sea of Japan. Um, so I was there full-on, hands-on in a sake brewery. Man, and what was your biggest lesson in this experience, would you say, reflecting back? I mean, again, in Japan, it's living by the work of your hands. Yeah, like, dude, I love Japanese culture. Uh, those, like the whole idea of like just Kaizen, uh, you know, just getting better every day and improving. Yeah. And uh, there's so many just, uh, what is that one? Like, when's the best time to plant a tree? 20 years ago, when's the next? Like, all these things that come out of Japan, uh, it's beautiful. But anyway, um, so, I mean, what you did, I love what you did because whenever I talk to over 300 people now, and it's always the people who took that time uh, after college or after high school to figure it out to really connect with what they love uh, and to not dive necessarily full head into school. I mean, it sounds like you were going to small schools. Was it expensive? Yes, it was. Um, I, I got some financial aid, which helped out, and some scholarship. I, I did fairly well in school, so my grades were good. Um, and, you know, financially, we didn't have the, the most money. Yeah. in the world growing up. So how'd you afford um, to do all this traveling? If you're Well, student up, loans, I'm still yep. paying student loans now. Yep. Um, so, you know, I took out loans and I got some financial aid okay. and I, I just learned to live cheaply. Um, gotcha. Living in, in other cultures, I was, you know, you can find ways to live cheap. Gotcha. Um, so, all right. Um, so you also spent some time in Europe, right? Um, what were you? Was that in, like why? Why did you choose Europe? What was the, the point? So, so Europe was definitely for the beer scene. After okay. being in Japan, I said, "Okay, sake is fun, but really, my, my passion is beer." And um, I had been reading about Belgium and learning about Belgium, yeah. and Belgium for me was the mecca. That's I had to get to Belgium. And through this program I was in, they had a center set in London, but I knew that I could go to London and branch off on my own and go to Belgium. Okay. And so I thought my semester in Europe, I would look at being in the UK where they have a great brewing scene and brewing history, going down to Belgium and maybe checking out Italy for winemaking. Okay. I wanted to just kind of grow my repertoire of fermentation. I had sake, needed to get in the, more into beer and, and wine is in, in the fermentation world. So, um, so that's how I, I structured my semester there in London. And I ended up going out to Belgium on my own for six weeks and hitchhiking around the country. Okay. Um, specifically going to the Trappist monasteries and reading, reading about the Trappists and their, their way of life. Um, I'm, I'm not religious and not really... I'm not really sold on Western religions. <laughs> um, but 
I I grew up going to church, so I, I know a little bit of the Catholic, yeah. you know, Protestant background, and um, I understood some of these guys' values. And yeah. um, but one of the biggest things that I realized was reading about them was at these monasteries they they have to take travelers in they say they, they take weary travelers in as if he's christ himself good to know if you ever Me- want to go meaning they way. have <laughs> they have to feed you they have to give you shelter you know they have to take care of you so i i put my backpack on hitchhiked out <laughs> knocked on these doors Man, where awesome. historically they don't they don't take many people in especially not like foreign travelers it's yeah. not it's not like a hostel um they're set up to take in visitors but mostly locals um, they're set in to be part of the community and they're out, they're out in the woods, you know, they're out in the fields and the farmland. And I had to hitchhike out there cause there's no public transportation out Man, there. That's a, um, how old were you when you were doing this? I was 22. Oh, that's so awesome. Yeah. dude. You know, just listening to the, that though, like at the core of hospitality, what is hospitality? It's providing shelter. It's providing worth. It's caring for people who need to help. And like, what did you learn about hospitality? Uh, just being with these monks. I mean, just that is, is you have to treat everybody. Oh, that's so and, cool. And that's, the, you know, that, that line still sticks in mind. Treat everybody as if he is Christ himself or as if he is or she is wh- whoever you highly revere. You, you know, you've got to treat every individual that walks into your bar or restaurant um, as if they are special because they are special. Oh, yeah. Because as, as human beings, as individuals, we are special. That's and, really cool, man. Um, and I, I definitely learned that traveling and, and living in different cultures and seeing that you need to respect one, one another. And I think we lose that a lot in the West, especially in the U.S. Um, we lose sight of taking care of each other and community in lieu of, of me first and what can I do for myself and me as an individual. Um, and you look at, like especially Japan, the Japanese culture is is very much looking out for the greater good and the greater whole um, and coming back to the West and seeing a lot of this like me, me, me. Yeah. Um, so I try to incorporate that into the ethos in my businesses. Absolutely. And I try to train my staff on that. And, Man. you know, I'm trying to raise my children that way as well. I think we're going to dive into this as we start pulling back, uh, going chronologically. And I'm playing with my microphone right now. At the, I mean, it's great being on site, but then you got to deal with... <laughs> all the unexpected things but i think my microphone's going to stay still now um so when did you know um you said you were 22 when you were in uh europe at this time you're how old are you now 37 37 okay well you, you age really well um so 2008 you opened a cafe i'm always afraid to say this navari navari res beer cafe so what series of events like when did you say to yourself you know what? I'm, I'm gonna go back home i'm gonna open uh, a cafe, a beer cafe in my hometown. Like, how did that? When did that vision of you being a, a restaurant tour or a bar owner come into the picture? So after after I finished my studies, the long the, the long story. Let's make it a long story. Um, <laughs> after Japan, after Europe, spent a semester in India. Okay, which there wasn't a lot going on in the alcohol industry then. So okay, it's a pretty dry culture. But my wife was there, or my at the time my girlfriend. Um, she was there studying the same program we had met in Japan and traveled a little bit separately, but got back together when we were in India and um, got disenchanted with the program while I was there. Transferred back into school in Washington yep. to kind of per- finish pursuing the business side of things after having some hands-on experience with the, with, with the brewing and sake brewing and beer stuff and getting my cultural experiences. Figured I'd go back to Washington and finish up with, with a degree, business degree. Um, I've got family in Western Massachusetts in Amherst. So we'd go there for Christmas holidays and a local bar called the Monin Dove okay. had recently opened up. And this was in 2004, I believe. All right. And it was like a block from the house, my aunt and uncle's house. And I walked down there on, I think it was Christmas Eve. My uncle said, hey, there's this bar around the corner. The guy just took it over. Yeah. He's got all these crazy beers like you talk about and like you bring over. Okay. And you love it. So I, I walk in and it's the Mecca. I just finished talking to my wife about how she asked me what my favorite beers were. And I listed all these Belgian beers. I said, but we're never going to be able to find them here in the States. We're going to have to go to Belgium. And we walk into this bar. And she's like, hey, isn't that one of the beers that you said I couldn't find here? <laughs> and isn't that another one? Oh, that's awesome. And it had everything. Uh, so I just I fell in love with that place. The owner was looking for somebody to manage it. Yep. And I said, "Hey, I want to be that guy." I didn't have any experience. Oh man! Um, but I know all the beer, and Dude. I and I know I can talk to people, and I know <laughs> that I can be a bartender. 
if anybody's listening to this right now, like the path that Eric took to get to where he is is like the path I would tell any young aspiring uh, hospitality professional to take to go out uh, to experience life experience different cultures find out what truly lights you up on the inside sounds like you, you kind of knew before you, you started doing your traveling but you really concreted like you, like you knew for sure after your experience traveling and then go get experience working for somebody who knows what they're doing uh, fuck up on someone else's dollar yeah. you know uh, and it, just grow get that mentor and what did you learn working for this guy well I mean that's exactly what I did I went into it saying I'm going to get some experience and uh and it's not on my dime. So I, I went back to school and put in for a leave of absence. And I said, okay, I'm going to quit school now. I'm going to go out and work in this, this bar, get some experience, and then I'll come back and finish school again um, having that experience. So when I leave school with a degree, not only do I have a degree, but I also have experience. Much different than most kids, most college students who just go to school straight up and they, they graduate with a degree, but they don't have any experience. Um, so I said, I'm going to have, have one up on everybody. So I, I went out and I ran the place and I, and I you know, I, I talked to the owner and, and we became friends and I said, look, I'm going to run this place as if it's my own because someday I want it to be my own. And so I said, if you fully trust in me and, and allow me to, to have this opportunity, I will Did do amazing teach things you that, for this or is that all just Live by the work of your hands. Work hard. Yeah. My parents just showed me how to work hard. Man, um, I love that idea of just treating it like you own it, too. I mean, if you treat it like you own it, eventually, someday, you will. Sometimes there's opportunities like you went out, you did your own thing. Um, and, man, <laughs> i got to fix this before we go on. Uh, this is great stuff. We might put a break in here real quick. But I'm going to finish this. That's fine. Editing of my... Uh Hey guys, uh, so what just happened there is my microphone fell in my lap. Uh, I'm going to speed this up for you. And uh, we're on site. We're still figuring out the uh, logistics. And uh, thanks for being patient. Back to the interview. Okay, we're back. And uh, Eric was just dropping gold on us. And, and uh, uh, really, I mean, just that, that path of uh, getting the experience, finding out what matters to you, getting that clarity and what really lights you up inside. And going and getting the experience of somebody else's dollar, working and learning the trade. Um, so what were your biggest lessons working for this guy? What are the biggest lessons? Um, being humble. Yeah. <laughs> being humble is, comes up a lot, of, a lot yeah. of times along the way. Um, I, I'm, I guess I'm fairly, I'm fairly outgoing. Um, okay. Probably more of the alpha type. Yep. Uh, I think a lot of entrepreneurs are. Yep. You've got to be out there, go-getter. Um, and growing up American in an American society, yep. um, just realizing that I, I need to be humble. And mm. I was humbled and, and many times. Um, but you know, being young and you know, twenty four, being a, a manager of a bar, people thought I owned the place wow. because I ran it as if I owned the place. And and the owner was absentee. Eventually, he yeah. left, and he said, "Look, you you do it. I'm going to go do my thing. Nice. You run this place for me." Um, so so the ego, having that ego of be like, "Yeah, I'm twenty four years old. The world <laughs> is mine. I'm in charge. I'm the boss." And having people put me in my place, yeah, um, really really humbling. Okay. But it's good. Um, was there a time where you really had to be put in your place? Take us through that experience where you were, maybe your, your ego got the best of you. Yeah, it's funny because uh, it, it, came, it came back to me in Portland. <laughs> there was a time we were serving cask beer. Okay. Um, so we got this cask in from a British brewery fresh off the boat. I was so excited. I tapped it up. The, a group of older gentlemen in there. And um, they came to me and said, hey, Eric, you can't serve this beer. So what do you mean? They said, well, it's not right. So I said, this beer is just fine. Like, you should be lucky you're drinking it. We just got this. It's fresh. I just tapped it. And I was just egotistical, <laughs> thought I knew everything. And I didn't let the beer settle out. With, with British cast beers, you need to let it drop bright, they call okay. it. So um, a traditional hand pump cast conditioned beer, you want it to settle. You want all the sediment. And um, they, they usually put some things, finings in the beer to drop everything clear. And they call it dropping bright. So when you pour the pint, it's, it's clear, crystal okay. clear. But Those during clouds. transportation, yeah. yeah, so stuff clouds up. Stuff comes up back up into solution, and you pour it, and it's a cloudy pint. And, and to a true connoisseur of British cask beer, if you see that pint, you know it's wrong, and it's bad. And these guys were just trying to help me out. <laughs> but I was, I was just oh, an man. arrogant, and I was like, you know, kind of giving them the attitude, you know, get out of here. You don't know what you're talking about. This is fresh beer. We're so lucky to have this. I'm yeah. not... I'm not 
going to stop pouring this. This is amazing. <laughs> and sure enough, I was wrong. Yeah. Um, so did you ever uh, confront those guys? Did you ever figure it out? And how did that end? I'm curious. Well, I, I think what happened was they made some comments on a forum and it came back to us and maybe the owner or the importer said, hey, Eric, you kind of screwed this up. <laughs> oh, and how did um, that feel? Oh, if, if it was humbling, it <laughs> felt like a big piece of humble pie, which I is bet. tough to swallow sometimes. Jeez. But um, the funny thing about that situation is years later, when I opened Novari, one of the guys who was in that group lives in town. And he's a, he's a great guy, beer aficionado. <laughs> and I've become friends with him. Yeah. But when I opened Novari, he came in and... and I bet he loves telling that story. Got, well, <laughs> I, I got to know him just from serving him beers and yeah. him knowing beer and talking beer. And he's finally said to me one time, he said, Eric, I don't know if you remember this or remember me, but I was in this group at the Monin Dove when you served this beer. And, and of course, when he said it, I knew that. And I was like... That was you, huh? Turn a few shades of red. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but, but we're good friends, and he's a good part of the community. Um, so it's all come back around. So I, I really want to uh, start diving into uh, Navari, opening this beer, this beer cafe. Uh, when did you start making plans for yourself? You mean, you're preparing yourself up to this point. But what was the process of uh, envisioning or creating the concept and going through the steps of finding a location uh, and getting the capital. Like, talk us through that. So it was, it was my time at the Moan and Dove, getting that experience there, recognizing that I can do this. I've done it. I'm running this bar for this guy. I know the ins and outs, the through and through. I want to do this for myself. I can do this for myself. Um, realizing that and deciding not to go back to school, not to finish school. Mm-hmm. So I said, you know what? Let's take this, let's take this opportunity now uh, my wife and I were both working. We didn't have kids yet. We had just gotten married, making good money, saved a bunch of money, took a year and circumnavigated the Northern Hemisphere. So we went to, I think, 26 different countries over the course of 10 months. Yep. And while we were traveling, um, going back to a lot of these places that I had been to, going to Belgium and England and Italy and Germany, Russia, Japan, going back to a lot of spots and new spots. And really with our eyes wide open, looking at things and noticing things and, and taking down ideas to do something for ourselves. Yeah. So this is a, it was a, a trip to experience the world because that's what we love to do. We met abroad. We love to travel. Um, but also going in this time, specifically saying, what can we take from these spots? Mm. Picking and choosing our favorite aspects of all these different cultures. So is the, the, the mission of this trip to get inspiration to do your own thing? Yes. Okay. And whether that, that own thing was to... I toyed with a bunch of different ideas of, of doing a brewery, a brew pub, um, a beer bar, and figuring all that out while we were traveling, moving back to the States, um, getting pregnant, and intentionally to, to have a family, um, and deciding where we wanted to be. We wanted to be, we, we recognized we would need help. Um, we were smart enough to know <laughs> that we couldn't raise our child by ourselves, and um, they say, you know, they say it takes a village. Oh, yeah. And it certainly does. So we were smart enough to recognize that we wanted to be near our family. Um, mm-hmm. That was either in Canada, where she's from. Okay. She's got family in Toronto and on the West Coast in BC. Or in Maine, where I'm from, where my family is. So, we, you know, we looked at the ins and outs of what it would take to open a brewery or a bar and, and all these places. What the market was like. We settled on Portland because it was just ripe. We thought it was ripe at that time. Yeah. Ten years ago, there was a lot going on in the brewing scene. Not nearly as many breweries as now, but but craft beer is here. Yeah, I mean, we ha- we've had some of the the original breweries between Geary's and Shipyard and Gritty's, and those guys really paved the way. Yeah, um, Allagash was doing a fantastic job in Sebago. Um, so there was a culture; people were interested in craft beer. Okay, and I recognized it didn't have a place to showcase all a these. place to showcase yeah. it, and it didn't have all these amazing international beers that I had found when I was traveling okay. and knew that I could get in the States because I had I'd been working with them in Massachusetts and got to know some importers and knowing that, yes, these beers are available, but people just don't know it in Maine. Okay. Um, so it was just kind of the right time where the craft beer boom was really taking off. Um, import beer was starting to get yeah. more recognized and more varied. And I had the experience and the knowledge um, my brother being close by in New York at the time. My father's still living in Maine. Okay. These guys are craftsmen. And I said, hey, boys, I'm going to build a bar. You guys on board? Can you help me build the place? <laughs> We're going to do it cheap. We're going to build it with our own hands. 
we're going to save a bunch of money, you know, by not hiring contractors, and we're going to do it on the cheap. Wow. Um, put a business plan together, pitched it to some banks. They laughed in my face, um, as I think they will <laughs> and they still do to anybody yeah. who's trying to open their first business that doesn't have a track record. It's that, but you kind of did have a little bit of a track record. I mean, you got the yeah, experience to travel the world. But I didn't. Oh, I didn't have financial records yeah, to show yeah. that that I can. So I was know? curious about that because I mean, you you, you know you, you had the school loan debt. You travel the world. That couldn't have been cheap. Um, you got all this just traveling. Like I don't know what your your bank looked like after that. Your bank account looked that like after that. But how did you get the money? How did you win people over? How did you get people to invest in your visions? Friends and family. You know. I, I have to give a lot of credit to my father-in-law. Yep. Um, my wife's father, he's, uh, he was in the financial world. Yep. And he really pushed me to put together a proper business, uh, business plan. Yep. When I was living in Massachusetts, my uncle's a professor at UMass in Amherst. So he gave me access to the university library. I took out some books on how to write a business plan. Yep. And uh, worked with my father-in-law. And he like really like in-depth putting together... Uh, pro formas and financial projections and it's it was legit you know I just yeah. had I had numbers scribbled on the back of a coaster that I got in a bar in <laughs> Dusseldorf you know so um, did you actually end up getting financial backing from banks or did you go strictly through friends and family no but I, I, I had this solid business plan yeah. and I worked for months on okay. end with my father-in-law and he told me I need to have this to get money. How much? And then you- when I went to the banks, they all laughed at me and said, "You know, <laughs> go screw yourself, kid. Good luck." <laughs> so then I was like, "What am I going to do?" Yeah. Um, and what did you do? my father-in-law had, by this time, he believed in the project. When I first pitched it, he just kind of laughed, like, "Okay, Eric, you know that's nice. You married my daughter. <laughs> Hopefully, you guys will be okay." But by the end of it, he he recognized that I I had a good plan. And I had, I think he, he believed in me and recognized. What did he recognize in you and in your plan that you think pushed him over the edge? You know, my, my guess is, is my work ethic, yep. um, my ability to just go out there and do things on my own, like, like putting together this yeah. business plan. You took the initiative. Taking the initiative, yeah. teaching myself, taking yeah. the books out of the library and, and teaching myself how to do yeah. stuff. Um, and, and doing the market research, showing him numbers from other businesses and putting, putting a good package together. And I think he recognized it was a good package. So he said, you know what? I'm in. And he said, and I, I know other guys. Yeah, and just from listening to your story, man, like you showed the natural instincts of uh, just getting that experience, traveling, working for somebody else, and just learning and really developing yourself, uh, treating it like you own, like all these things that you've shared with us so far. So, I mean, I can see why he would want to invest in you. Uh, how much do you think you were going to need to open? What was your goal to raise money? Novari, we did with uh, 220000 Okay, that's pretty cheap. Yep, really cheap. That's really awesome. And you did a lot of this on your own, having the people. So, I mean, what were you thinking? Like, what, what mentality did you have to, um, I guess, have the uh, confidence and the, the right frame of mind to, to know that you can, in fact, do this? And, I mean, what were you, t- like, what was your, your state of mind like? I, I had no other choice um, other than to succeed. Yeah. You know, I've, I've got a new, a young baby. We opened Novare <laughs> when our firstborn was six months old. Um, I've, I've, I watched my parents go through financial difficulty growing up, but I watched them come out of it. Yep. I watched them work hard my whole life. And, um, I knew that even if I I say there was no, no choice, but even if I did fail and it didn't work out, I knew that I had supported family Mm -hmm. on both sides. My wife's family is very supportive. My family is very supportive. Um, we have a very healthy relationship with our parents and our siblings. And um, there's just a lot of support, a lot of love and support. And I knew no matter what, I could just go live at home. And yeah. my parents would help me raise my family. And <laughs> So what um, do you think it was about Navari that made it successful all the kids? I think it was just a combination of a perfect storm of me having good experience and having knowledge and, and being out there. The market local Portland people growing with the craft beer movement and knowing about it and uh, just nobody had done it yet. Yeah. And, and I don't think that so being a niche in serving a market that wasn't being that basically. Yeah. And, and I think something like that would have happened. Yep. Whether I did it or not. Yeah. I think it was just destined to be. The pieces of the puzzle were there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just happened to be in the right place at the right time with the right, the right information and the right skills to put it in place. I mean, I, I went into that not having any idea that it would be as successful yeah. as it is 
You know, I thought I was going to run the place with about five other people helping me out. Yep. I would bartend five days a week and do the business stuff on the side. Within 10 days of opening, I had doubled my initial staff. Wow. Within three weeks of opening, I had tripled my staff. Within a few months, I, like? I was not able to bartend anymore because I was too busy managing things. Re- reflecting back at that, uh, what were the biggest learning curves for you? The things that you learned along the way that you wish somebody was like, dude, just so you know, look out for this. Like, What can you shine light on for us? Um, you know, I, I hadn't lived in Maine for a number of years. Yep. And when I moved back into town, I had kind of lost connection with a lot of people. Yep. And when I moved back, I was starting to reconnect with people and people who had lived here, you know, moved from Yarmouth, kids I grew up with that were living in Portland. And they knew, they knew the Portland scene. And there was a few people that said, Hey, Eric, this, you're going to be really busy. You should prepare for this. <laughs> and I didn't listen to them. And I was like, No, man, nobody's going to really care. I'm going to have to really teach people about this beer. Yeah. And they were right. Yeah. And we were slammed. And so I wasn't ready because I didn't listen to the people with the local knowledge. Um, again, humbling myself. Yeah. And, and you've got to be open to everybody's ideas. And, uh, you know, still to this day, people will tell me things. People, people like to offer advice. Yeah. Customers love yeah. to offer advice. Customers like to sit down in the bar and start telling you how to run your business. Yeah. Um, sometimes you can just blow it off. And sometimes you should listen because yeah. sometimes they have good ideas and it's good to, to see things from different angles. But the, the lesson there is always at least listening because you listen, never know what you're yeah. going to get. And I mean, eventually you did figure it out. I mean, you kind of were drinking from the fire hose um, for a little bit in the beginning. Uh, how did you evolve as an, a restaurant owner during those first crazy months, those first crazy years? Uh, what things changed in your business that allowed you to to grow and to scale and to get out of your restaurant into uh, certain new projects like what you got going on now? Yeah, so good, good help. Um, I spent a lot of time with the staff early on, training them, yep. getting them to know my ethos, how I wanted things run. How did that look? Like really dive into how you set that up. Yeah, fi- very much family time. It's okay. uh, at the end of every shift, sitting down, having a beer together, talking about the beer, yep. talking about the day's events. What happened? What went well? What went wrong? Um, basically like a therapy session. Okay. You have this therapy session every day <laughs> and you vent, you say, oh man, this... I had this really crappy table and this happened and they say, well, how can we do it differently? How can we approach it differently? Yep. How can we turn that situation into a positive situation yep. next time? Um, just going through those learning, that learning process and really creating this cohesive group and people that are on board, getting, peop- getting your staff on board with you and, and believing in you and then being able to step back and let them do it themselves. You got to go deeper, man. How, how do you get them on board? What was the secret? What was your secret to getting them on board, to buy in, to be behind what you were trying to do? Showing them. Showing them firsthand. Like I said, I was there open to close every day. I, I, I was bartending every day. Mm-hmm. Um, I was showing them how I wanted things done. I was showing them how interactions should be with customers. Yep. When I'm standing there talking to you and telling you about the beer and I've got uh, a coworker next to me, they're listening. And yep. I tell them, I said, stand next to me and listen. Yep. See how I open the bottle, how I pour the beer, how I explain things to the customer, mm. how I, I move behind the bar, how I how I'm efficiently doing things. Mm. Um, it's, and it's, it's all about efficiencies yep. and being able to deal with a large group of people and moving them through yep. and making sure that everybody's having a good time. So really leading by example, um, getting them on board, showing them that I have work ethic and I'm not just going to sit back and be yep. the fat cat owner. Um, and, and people really, they, they love that. To this day, I have new staff come in and tell me, they say, Eric, I very rarely have ever seen or worked with a business owner that is as hands-on as you and that, that it is here through the thick and thin. Um, what would you call that, what you're, what you're doing? If you could slam one word on it, what would it be? It's, it's leading by example. Yeah. Um, you know, and, that, and that's, that's how I was brought up and that's how, that's how I was shown things and that's, how, that's something that I believe in. So you're leading by example for five years, still up to this day, you're leading by example. Um, you've got two locations. You've got so many variables, so many moving parts of you know, your distillery, your brewery, and your restaurant bar here. Um, so what, hasn't it, what, what have you done in uh, the next stage or the next evolution from going from one location to two locations that allows you to be in two different spots? Like what things change and how you operate? Because you can't be hands-on. Can't okay. be hands-on, and, no. and So what are you doing now? So now I now I'm now I'm a manager, I guess. Um, 
I'm Talk a, to us about that transition. How'd, I'm an office you, worker. It's tough. No, oh, it's it's love, hard. It's hard. No, man, I, I get like, I love the hands-on experience. I love, yeah. uh, cause that's what it takes. I think there, there needs to be more hands-on managers, people who care. I mean, listening to you talk, I'm hearing somebody that cares, that gives a fuck about their people, that wants to develop these people, that wants to mentor people, that wants to give people knowledge. Like you're passionate about this stuff and you want to share that knowledge with the people that have similar passions as you. Um, but eventually you've got to recreate yourself in other people. You've got to try to duplicate yourself. So how did you do that? How did you get, uh, I'm always afraid to say it, Navare Res Beer Cafe, uh, to a point where you didn't need to be there all the time. Like, what's your secret? Well, my secret is not me. It's other people. And um, as much as hands-on as I was and people often are as owners, I also recognize that you can't, be there all the time yeah. and you need to trust people and you need to be able to step back and let people do things and I, th- I think that's a downfall that a lot of business owners have mm. is that they feel like they have to be there all the time and they don't trust anybody and they're there every morning for open and they stay till close and they don't let anybody else do anything um, and that's just not a healthy lifestyle and I recognize that and I wanted to be around for my family I wanted to have a healthy relationship with my mm-hmm. wife and to raise our children and to not have to open the bar every day and not have to close the bar every day and I was lucky that I had good people behind me um, my, my partner now Novari Shaheen he, he came on as a bartender became a manager um, he partnered in and another, another manager bartender Erica she's also a partner so I've got two really good partners now and, and they partnered in because they were managers and they did such a great job. They allowed me time to step back from Novari and create this plan for Liquid Riot. Yeah. And I had some freedom and I had some free time. And I wanted to give them back something and say, you know what? You guys are working really hard. You guys should own a piece of this. Nice. And now they're owners and they're partners. Mm. And so I've, I've grown that. And that, that allowed me to step back and to open Liquid Riot. Do you think most owners are greedy and aren't willing to give up a piece of the pie to share something? I, I, I don't know if they're greedy. Um, I, I'm definitely unique. I think I'm unique in the sense that I was able to let go really early. Um, but I also understand the other side of it of wanting to hold on because it's yours. It's yeah. your baby. Yeah. Um, especially like for me, Novari being the first place, Liquid Riot's easier for me to let go of because it's, it's not my first child. But but having that, that idea of it's your first baby, it's yours, you put all this time and energy into it, and it's your livelihood too. So if something happens, you're not getting paid. Yeah. You know, if you get a bad reputation, if somebody's stealing from you, um, you're not just working a nine to five for somebody else that you're going to get a paycheck in the mail. Yeah. This, is, this is your livelihood. Yeah. Um, so people want to protect that. I totally get it. And, and I still have that feeling. But at the same time, I also recognize that um, and my wife and I talk about it. It's like if if we fail, if something happens, we have each other. Yeah. So, and we didn't lose everything. So you put a lot of emphasis on uh, people. You couldn't do it without the people in your life, the people that you have in your life to trust. Um, what what do you think is it is it about you that attracted these great people? I don't know if there's any one specific thing. Um, I think that people would recognize my leadership qualities recognize that i'm honest and and i try to be as honest as possible always you know um i'm i'm pretty straightforward i'm pretty open about things yep. i share as much as possible and just the experiences that, that i've had are, are pretty yep. interesting there you know when i when i talk about my stories and hearing myself speak now it's like yeah. man that's pretty crazy <laughs> some of the some of the things that i've yeah. done and i put myself out there and did it's it's pretty wild um and if I met somebody like me, I'd be interested, yeah. you know, and when I do meet other travelers and other entrepreneurs, I am interested to hear what they've done. Yep. And uh, I think people, people latch onto that. Yeah. People, people like interesting things and people like the world. Yeah. And so up to this point, what, what has been your biggest challenge? Uh, reflecting back to getting to where you are today, like, can you reflect back to a time where you're just like, damn, that sucked, uh, but you got past it. So can you think of that time? I, I mean, certainly the biggest challenge and it still is, and uh, what I alluded to is, is letting go. Yeah, it's still I, I'm I'm fairly good at letting go. Yeah, but not not entirely because there are, there are times where I'm here too much. What's that conversation you have with yourself uh, when you see yourself struggling to let go? Like, how do you talk to yourself? How do you get through that? I always go back and think about my kids, my family, and I'm sitting here 
at all hours of the night, yeah. pulling my hair out, going, "Why? Why am I doing this? Yeah. You know, what, what's really gonna come of this?" Yep. My children are growing up. I should go. I should go home. Yeah. I should go. <laughs> I should, I'll put the work off to another day, or or yeah. I'll call somebody and or you know send somebody a message. Say, hey, can you take care of this for me? Yeah. Because I don't need to anymore. You can do this now. Yeah. So and, empowering other people. Yeah, empowering them and, and allowing people to to take over and take control yeah. of things. Awesome. So if you could just reflect back on the conversation we've had up to this point, like summarize, like what, what, what do you know to be true? Um, as far as what's contributed to your success, if you could like slam like two aha moments on us, what would they be? I, I know that you have to work hard. Yeah. You yourself, you have to work hard and, and show people that you're working hard. Yeah. There's no way around it. Yeah, there's no way around that. There's there's no there's no just sitting back and, and talking the talk. Yeah, if you don't walk the walk, people recognize. You gotta that. do the work. You gotta do the work. I love it. Um, okay, before we take a break, to thank our sponsors. Uh, I think we can learn a lot from the successes of other people, but we also can learn a lot from the times where we fall hard on our ass. So tell me about a time, uh, a humbling. I mean, you already shared one humbling moment with uh, <laughs> the uh, t- the cloudy beer situation. Uh, but was there a time where you just really failed hard? It, like in life in general yeah, or, or through the businesses? Yeah. I mean, you know, honestly, this place, Liquid Riot, has been a roller coaster up and down. Yeah. Um, the history of Liquid Riot is we opened uh, under a different name yeah. as Infinity. Okay. And I just didn't go through all the, the process of protecting myself. Okay. Um, I didn't trademark the name. I did the research. There was no, nobody else using the name. Shortly after we opened, a company in Vermont decided to open up Infinity Brewing. Oh. So I, I went through that process with them. And through that process, another company in Florida had opened a place called Infinity Tapworks. And um, so long story short is that these guys weren't going to change their name. I didn't protect my name. I, I had been open first. Yeah. And those guys had both heard about me and decided to use the name as well. Um, so I decided instead of getting into litigation with them and suing them, which was the step that I was being urged by my attorney, um, and and we had the legal right to do to protect our name. Um, I chose to change our name and I'm not interested in litigation. I'm not interested in the, the, the the American legal system and being a part of that and spending the time and money and energy into it not interested in shutting down other people because that's what would have happened was, hey, we're going to sue these guys. We're going to put them out of business yeah, and we're going to protect ourselves. Um, and to me, that it just didn't feel good. Can I be honest, man? I, I love your brand. I love that your, uh, your rum riot or it's based off the rum riots, a lot yeah. of liquid riots. So you think like, you have, they say when branding, you want to you know have a brand that ties to the community. I think you do that really well. Uh, I thought it was really smart branding personally. So do you think you're better off now with the new, under this new brand? I, I mean, for sure. Yeah, we're. I'm, I'm happy where we are, but this place is ever changing. That was the idea of the Infinity name. <laughs> yeah. That was just this always changing, constant, always yep. changing, but always connected. Um, and I don't think those ethos have changed. We changed the name, you know, and and I did reconnect with Maine and, and Portland and the Portland yep. Rum Riot. Um, also, a nod to the Chicago Beer Riots yep. that were happening at the same time. We're doing beer, we're doing booze, and Novaria Res means to start a revolution. I had that revolutionary spirit, yep. that revolt. Um, the riot, revolt, revolution. I love it. So um, it, it it all tied in. It, it made sense. It wasn't yeah. just you know I didn't just pick a name out to say hey this is gonna it's gonna sound cool. Yeah. Um, it's it's thoughtful and, and yeah. there's history behind it. Um, but ultimately the what we were doing didn't change. You know the the idea of the food that we're producing, the idea of the beer that we're making, the idea of the booze that we're making didn't change no matter what we called this place. Yeah. So. Um, but, it, but it was tough. It's name. tough to rebrand, yeah. you yeah. know, being a new company and not really having our feet under us to begin with, and then still having to rebrand and everybody saying, "Oh, you know, companies fail when they rebrand." And, yeah. Um, but I, but I didn't believe in that, you know, and I, and I knew that we could make this. So, what's the work. big lesson here? Aside from aside from doing your due diligence and getting your protection, getting your trademarks, what's the big lesson here? Don't give up. Yep. You know, don't give up. Push through. Yep. And. Don't you know? Don't let people get you down because it happens every day. There's haters out there, yep. world over, and it still happens today. You know, especially with social media, it's so tough. <laughs> you know, everybody's so quick yeah. to put put a tweet out there, or post something on Instagram or a Facebook message, and um, you know, it's like you you can try all you want, but you're never going to please 100 percent of them. <laughs> they say you're not doing something right until, or you're doing something right once you get 
the haters. So if you don't have any haters, yeah. then it's a sign that you're not doing something right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I used to I used to say that at Novara. It's like you haven't made it until somebody wants to take you down. Exactly. Yeah, you're good. So we're gonna take a quick break to uh, thank our sponsors. We'll be right back. As you know, I don't promote or recommend any products or services my guests haven't first recommended or that I haven't used myself. Well, when I needed a new logo for Restaurant Unstoppable, I chose Design Crowd. I got to admit, it was a great experience, too. Here's what I did. I visited designcrowd.com, where I posted a brief description of what I was looking for in my logo. Design Crowd then invited over 550,000 designers to get to work on my project. A few hours after... After submitting my project, I began to receive a flood of designs from around the world, about 90 designs to choose from altogether. All it took was a small investment of $400. Not only was the experience inexpensive and easy, the designers were willing and ready to make the slightest adjustments at my request. To get up to $100 off your first project, head over to designcrowd.com unstoppable or enter promotional code unstoppable at checkout. Yo, guys, so if you're listening to this podcast, you're likely a restaurant or bar owner who wants to be a better leader, who wants to make more money, who wants to be more successful, who wants to work smarter, not harder, and you just want to be great, which means you know you can never stop educating yourself. If that sounds like you and you want to learn how to attract more new customers and get a competitive edge over your competition, sounds pretty good, right? Then you need to listen to this message. You got to listen. Just ready for it? Here it is. Leading industry expert. Nick Fosberg and past guest of Restaurant Unstoppable wrote what I believe to be the best how-to book on attracting new customers and creating highly profitable promotions on a shoestring budget. And because you're Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, he's going to give you this book not for $30 on Amazon, but you're getting it for free. Yeah, free. Go to freebrsbook.com right now and get a copy. Again, that's freebrsbook.com. Get your free copy while supplies last. And we're back. The first question I have for you is what is your it's factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Cultural understanding and you know, just my experiences abroad and yeah. recognizing that there's more out there in the world than just where we are right now. Awesome. I love it. And uh, what is your biggest weakness? I give people too many chances. Ooh, that, how does that hurt you? It's really tough because, you know, having employees that, that screw up mm-hmm. and that are causing harm to the business and I give them multiple chances. And a lot of times it comes back to bite me in the ass. But How does it come back to, to help you? I mean, I'm sure there's been once or twice where you've given somebody a second chance. And- well, certainly. I mean, I, I was given chances. And yeah. so I always say, if I wasn't given a second chance, I wouldn't be where I am now. Yeah. So I always want to give that to somebody else. And um, I've got great partners and great yeah. managers. And I've got this network of people that really support me because I have given them chances. Yeah. So how do you filter yourself now when you're giving somebody another chance? Like, how do you... Uh, gauge whether or not they've had enough chances. <laughs> I, I'm separating myself from that process now because I recognize that's my weak, my weak point. So yeah. I've got managers in place now that are the ones to decide um, whether people get a chance or not. And I don't have to be the one to pull somebody into my office. That, that, that's, that's up to them. We'll have conversations about yeah, certain things, but um, you know, a lot of times if, if somebody needs to be let go, um, I don't have to be the one anymore. Yeah. What's one piece of advice on leadership? If you could just leave one piece of advice. Be honest. Yep. And uh, what's one question you ask or thing you look for when you're trying to grow your team during the interview process? Sorry, say that again? Uh, what's one question you ask or thing you look for when you're trying to grow your team during like the interview process? I look for people with similar uh, views, not just on... Not just small views. People are similar, similar worldviews, I guess. Um, I think that, the, that you can view the world differently, and everybody does. Yeah. Um, but to grow a community that has the same beliefs, um, I think you need to have similar views. What's a view yeah. that somebody will give you that makes you go, yes, this guy gets it, or this gal gets it? Um, I, I guess for me, view, accepting views, views of um, accepting differences in people. Yeah. And recognizing that there are differences, but being okay with them. Mm-hmm. Besides food, uh, spirits, and beer, what's one thing you guys do 
that really separates you, your restaurants in general, that what do you do that separates you from other restaurants in your community? Well, uh, I mean, we provide, <laughs> we provide a pretty crazy package here. Yeah, you do. Um, you know, but, but yeah, outside of the food, beer and booze, that's, that's what we are is food, <laughs> beer and booze, but we're the only place that does that. You know, we, yeah. we create stuff. Yeah. We really create everything. Um, and, and we create a really fun atmosphere to do it in. So right now, I think we kind of already went over this, but what's your biggest challenge in this moment in time? Staffing. Yeah. Staffing's biggest challenge. Portland is crazy times, you know, up and down, but summertime is just nuts. So getting through that ramp up period into the summer and staffing appropriately and getting everybody up to speed, getting everybody on board, getting everybody educated. Yep. What do you do that you think um, helps you get the right people on your your boat? Having the right people... To have the right people, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> getting getting the right management team together, and uh, and grooming them, and and being cohesive with them, so then they can bring on the next level of people, the next tier of nice. people, and bring them up. I love it. Uh, what's one book that's a must read if we want to be better business owners or people in general? A book to read? <laughs> You're asking the wrong guy. I really don't <laughs> read. I'm so bad. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, for me, well, you picked up a couple of books when you were doing I, the, the business I, planning. Well, was that like textbooks? yeah, that, that was really textbook technical. Yeah. I mean, but I did a lot of my research through brewing books. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the one of my favorite books is um, Brew Like a Monk. It's called Brew Like a Monk. It's all about tra- Trappist brewing in the monasteries. That What's brew. the biggest lesson from that book that you have? That business lesson that you can pull from that book is or that life lesson. Well, I, again, um, living by the work of your hands and, and working hard or something and seeing how these these different breweries have made it around the world yeah. and a lot of them started out as as hard-working farmers and you know people working from the land yeah i love it um and you know, just thinking about that i mean we've got to try to move on but i i can't just skim over it like i feel like people today uh they they want success but they they focus on what they can do to get fast track success but really, I feel like it's people like you who look inward and look at doing the thing, doing the work, and just focusing on doing the work and not necessarily looking to grow, but just looking to do the work. And I feel like growth comes naturally. Is that what happened in your case? Totally. That actually, uh, that brings a really good point that um, I, I used to train my staff on when they complain about a slow night and not, not making the tips. And I say, just work hard now and the money will come later. Yeah. And if if you're working hard and believe in what you're doing, yeah, the money will come. Yeah, it will. Awesome. Um, if you're doing it just for the money, it may never come, and then you're not satisfied because you're not doing what you want. <laughs> but as long as you're doing what you want, and you're happy doing it. Yeah, some, something else will will come. I love it. And uh, what's one technology you've adopted in your restaurants to be either more profitable, more more organized, communicate better? Uh, anything you're leveraging technology wise that's helped out. You know, certainly the the computer systems, the POS systems, um, using spreadsheets, Excel. Have you, have you recently updated your POS system? No. Okay. Which no. one did you decide to go to, and why? Um, we we use micros. Okay. Not overly excited about it. <laughs> um, but why? I, I just think it's an antiquated system, and the customer service is really poor and okay. lacking. Um, Are you looking anywhere else? Yeah, yeah, we're, we're definitely looking. There's so much new technology all the time. So, yeah. um, what are you looking for in new te- technology? That better customer service, um, better hardware. Um, but you know, technology moves so fast right now. Mm-hmm. It's, it's all computers, right? Yeah. Um, so there's always something new, and it's hard. It's hard to keep up with it all and it's also a, a hefty investment yep so you invest in a big system we invested in our system originally and it's not something that's easily just thrown out mm. and replaced so you you got to be careful about how you make your moves with yeah. that kind of stuff um but definitely using technology in, in all senses of, of using new programs of of you know getting getting to know quickbooks and using quickbooks yeah. for my accounting and learning so have you been using it were you using it before or is this something that you're newly implementing uh no I, i've used it right from day one oh, but yeah. I, I learned it yeah when i opened novari yeah. and brought it through into liquid riot and um it's it's a constant learning curve but yeah cool uh okay if there is one piece of advice if you could go back in time uh maybe to 2008 you're opening your first restaurant maybe 2004 you're managing your first restaurant um what's one piece of business advice you'd give your past self if you could give yourself one piece of advice take it slow yeah take it slow um what do you mean by that i I definitely i get eager and anxious and and just want to jump 
jump on things and I think a lot of business people do and we're so pressured to make decisions quick and responding quick to things um, but ultimately in the end you can take your time and as the boss and as an owner you should you should step back and say you know what I'm in charge I need to stop think about things think things through have conversations with people um, really be thoughtful about things I think all too often poor decisions are made really quickly mm. whereas good decisions are made over time awesome and um, is there one question Eric I could have asked you uh, that you think would have brought more value to this conversation uh, you didn't ask me about our Fernet oh man okay tell us about your Fernet <laughs> <laughs> we've, we've got an amazing Fernet, this award-winning Fernet, which, <laughs> which is I'm going to have right humbling. after this interview, after I have something to eat. Um, uh, just, just, it's just interesting. I mean, all, out of all, all the things that we do and make, um, we do all you know, we do hundreds of different beer recipes. Yeah. We've got twelve different spirits on the market. We really dabble in everything. Our, our food menu is always changing, and sometimes things really hit yeah. and uh and our fernet has really seemed to be taking off really interesting recipe 22 different botanicals and there's nobody else in in this market here in maine making any kind of uh awesome. an amaro like that um we're one of few fernets made on the east coast definitely the only one made in new england um and we're getting some recognition for it. it's kind of cool it's you know it's, it's and what nice. is a fernet just in case somebody's listening to this going what the hell so is it's, it's a bitter herbal digestif liqueur um historically made in old world Europe yep. people drink a little shot of it after a meal to help digest it's kind of nice. medicinal it's bitter it's minty it's does it actually help digest too? I think so yeah <laughs> let's eat awesome. a bunch of hamburgers and then try it <laughs> <laughs> alright well I mean we're going to wrap it up now we wrap up every episode by calling somebody out so who's somebody you admire um, somebody that you think is just crushing it independent restaurant operator somebody we could all learn from as a guest man. I, I gotta give a shout out to Sam Calagione from Dogfish Head um, I mean, they're, they're big now, they're huge <laughs> now, but I met him when he was small and just starting out and, and I watched him work really hard oh, man, and watched him all the way through. I've, I and, have to read uh, his book first. Yeah. And, and I've tried reading his books cause I really love him, but I, I can never seem to finish a book. Well, maybe it's and he's audio. got some good I'll books find, on business, like how yeah. to, how to start a business. I've heard great things about his books, um, but his ethos about, um, just doing things properly and working hard and creating a community. And yeah. he just, he's. He does things for the right reason. Awesome. Dogfish Head, look how I'm coming after you. And um, <laughs> let the folks at home know if they want to come join your team, if they want to come learn under you, if they're in the southern Maine area, or maybe they want to relocate. Like, what's a good way to connect? Come into the restaurant. You know, um, reach out to us on, on our social medias. Want to share those um, handles? I honestly, I don't. I don't think I know I'll, them properly. I'll have the links in the show. Notes I, I literally, I don't. I don't have my own Facebook page. <laughs> the only reason why we have them for the businesses is because other people told me we had to, and they started them. Like my other managers, I've got people who do the the posts and stuff. Um, I'm I'm so bad. At, <laughs> I'll but, make sure to find we're them. on we're on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook for both businesses, Novaria Res and Liquid Riot, and I'm sure it's something like like hashtag liquid riot and hashtag Novari res or something <laughs> yeah. simple, but this is um, episode three forty five. So just head over to restaurant slash three, four, five. I'll have the links in the show notes. And, um, I guess just thank you for being somebody who understands the, the value and doing the work first and putting in the time and having, uh, the right values and knowing it's about the people and, uh, noticing about just developing that trust and letting go and, sharing what you've created with other people uh it was a great time talking to you and uh there is no questioning eric you are unstoppable man thank you very can much can i uh can i just come back to the first question you asked is do, yeah do i feel unstoppable you said that i do that you feel unstoppable? unstoppable but back to my answer of saying <laughs> definitely not is i know that i can be stopped if i don't continue this path of mm. of trying yep. to do the best thing that i can awesome. and and being honest with people and bringing people into the fold <laughs> you know if, if you don't have that community the community will stop you thank you for coming full circle on that one i appreciate it and uh, that's it man we'll wrap it up right cheers. on man thanks yep cheers that was fun Eric Michaud putting on a show with some great advice for us today man i love this conversation i really do in uh the big takeaway for me was this whole idea of you know embracing what you love and going full steam ahead into what you love and just loving to do what you love uh and i get that sense from eric that he just truly loves what he does and uh this 
idea that we picked up from him that he got from these monastery monks, which is just do the work, live your life by the work of your hands. And Eric goes on to say, you live your life by the work you put into it. So embrace that idea of just loving the work and doing the work. I feel like we come from a culture that's so adverse to work. We don't want to do the work. We're taught that if you do work, you're lesser, you're not as good, or you're not using your brain. You're using your hands. Like screw that. Like why not just enjoy the work you do? and do the work and live by the work you do and embrace that work. Uh, and I think Eric is a beautiful example of that and choosing to just love what he's doing. We all have the choice to just be happy and grateful for the work we do. Eric gets that. I get that he gets that. And I love that he scaled uh, over time. He didn't just go straight into opening a restaurant after uh, realizing his passion, but he found somebody else who shared the same passion, who had beers that he was passionate about, and he he treated it like he owned it. He didn't eventually own that location, but he treated it like he owned it. He learned valuable lessons, and he made some big mistakes on someone else's <laughs> excuse me on someone else's dollar, which I think is great. Uh, that story he told about just being arrogant and cocky and thinking he knows everything. Uh, well, the good news is he did that at somebody else's restaurant, but that could have been his own restaurant and he could have hurt his name and his brand. Uh, but he chose to to learn on someone else's dollar to uh, just figure all this stuff out before he invested his own money. Great lesson there. And uh, he didn't start with a huge location. He started small and grew over time and scaled over time. Now he owns a massive uh, restaurant space, distillery, brewery, bar restaurant bar uh but he didn't go for that right out of the gates it took him almost you know six years seven years to build up to that point uh and just fo- i mean i think the lesson again is just focus on being great do the work uh build trust show up every day develop the people around you be a mentor and be patient and just keep doing the work do the work better every day than you did the day before and opportunities will prevent or present themselves to you. So great stuff today. Uh, again, Eric Michaud, you were a great guest. Uh, loved having you on. And guys, please do connect with me. Eric Cacciatore on Instagram and Twitter, Facebook slash Restaurant Unstoppable. Email Eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. Tell me who you want to hear from. Guys, I'm going to three episodes a week. I need your help. Uh, make some recommendations. I need to keep the guests coming or else my sponsors will be pissed off and I don't want that to happen. Um, and I, I want to serve you too. So, you know, help me out, make some suggestions, tell me who you want to hear from. Let's learn together and spread the word about this podcast guys. Uh, I just had an, I had an idea, uh, go on social media, uh, share this podcast with somebody, you know, who you think would like it and, and tag me in that post so I can thank you personally for helping support this podcast and so I can meet a new listener and just we, we can build this community we don't have to do it alone guys we can get online we can lean on each other we can learn from these people and we can really build an awesome community around Restaurant Unstoppable uh, don't be afraid to reach out to me I love you guys I love you all thanks so much for sticking around this long and until next time peace out out